Are you ready for the end of the world? (laughs) (laughs) You are listening to Your Community Spirit, the show about caring, sharing, and preparing for the changes needed in the world as we know it. Let's bring back the circle again. The circle of friends, the circle of family, the circle of being. Wake up! And be healthy and therefore wealthy to the peace and joy of Mother Earth. I made it through! You made it through the promo. (laughs) The intro. Well, I didn't. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I've been doing it so many years, I mess it up every week. This is Ord Energy Mon. And this is Tree Song. And we are live, local, and actually talking right now. So I guess. Yeah, local, locale, loco, (laughs) all the above. Um. I've been working outside a lot in the last couple of weeks, and it is almost bearable now. <laughs> so so. Did your brain get fried while you were out there? <laughs> Just like, <laughs> um, probably, but um, nothing new. <laughs> so, um, A publisher just sent us a whole box of books, and so we get to review a few of them, and these are all books that you know have just been published this year or will be published. And one of them is the Backyard F- Field Guide to Chickens. It's literally just like, you know, Field Guide to Birds. It's got like a picture got and a of description chickens. of each type of bird and what they're good for. For example, I just randomly opened it up to a giant cock of Rhode Island Red. Mm-hmm. And it says they will lay up to 300 eggs a year. And that's why, you know, a lot of people go for a Rhode Island red chicken because they're um, both an egg and a meat chicken because they also grow big. The idea of keeping backyard chickens is a lovely one. Fresh eggs straight from the coop, as local as you can get meat right in your own backyard. But which chickens will faithfully deliver what you need? Whatever your questions are, the Backyard Field Guide to Chickens has the answer. And this is published by uh, Voyager Press. So, Yes. Um, I wonder if they heard that we have backyard chickens here now, so they sent us that to you. <laughs> yeah, from what I understand, not all the permits have been issued. So people can do backyard chickens here. There are certain rules and regulations, and you have to get a permit for your chicken coop. Like, for example, I can't get one because the coop has to be so many feet from your neighbors and so many feet from your house. Yeah. So if and your so, yard is a certain size, it won't fit. Right. So I have like a, a, a big yard, but then I can't put it on the edge of my property, mm-hmm. you know, and so because that would be close to the neighbors, right? Yeah. So, oh, man, look at that one. <laughs> Yokohama. There's like they are oriental, of course. Man. Here, let's just randomly open it one more time. Boop. <laughs> Such a wide range of chickens in there. That one kind of looks like a turkey. Yeah, I didn't it's even got, really think about the wide variety they come in. <laughs> that one's got a um, a hairdo, <laughs> just like <laughs> just like um, a houdan. They're from Normandy and have were developed as early French market chickens. Anyway, this is a couple hundred page book with lots of good pictures, and it teaches you about chickens. So. I suppose if people want a copy of that, they can um, contact us, info at yourcommunityspirit.org. 
tell us um, that you're interested in the book or um, tell us you want to be in our newsletter because guess what? I remember to send it out this week. You did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm also currently reading a book. Uh, well, I'm reading two books, but the one that's relevant to the show is Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler. It's uh, She's a famous uh, science fiction author, and it's climate fiction from the 1990s. You know, she was writing about it before it was cool. She was a very visionary sci-fi. Sci-fi yeah. before cli-fi was a thing. Yeah. I could have, if I had read this back then, you know, maybe I would have become a climate fiction author right away. I could have another five books under my belt by now. <laughs> yeah. But I will try to do a full if review. If you had five books under your belt, your pants would not fit. Yeah. They would fall down. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, let's get on to some of the news. I will try to do a review of that once Please I'm finished. Please don't talk about how hot it is again. Well, it's not let's like see. it's like happening or anything. Yeah. Well, let's, let's beat the heat by talking about our first story. Latest climate report, heat, more heat, and signs of worse to come. Thank oh, you. Thank you. It. Oh, man. <laughs> That's, like, yeah, we can't beat the heat, can we? I mean, luckily, I'm, you know, beating the heat, installing solar. So yeah. it's like, you know, I'm out there in the heat, putting something in that's supposed to mitigate the heat. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. I guess if I do enough of it and don't, you know, die of heat exhaustion, it will alleviate the heat by creating less pollution. Yeah. Man, that's a, ra- a really long roundabout way to convince myself to keep going out <laughs> yeah. in the heat. Well, then once you've got those solar panels up there, you can go inside and relax in the air conditioning because the sun is powering the air conditioning. True. So here's the story. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration's 2015 State of the Climate Report unleashed a flood of statistics that should overwhelm whatever doubts remain of global warming's already startling impacts, scientists said on Tuesday. For the first time since record-keeping started, the average annual global temperature exceeded pre-industrial levels by more than 1 degree Celsius. So they're aiming for this 1.5 degree Celsius target, and we're already past 1 degree Celsius here. Uh, record to near record warmth was common on every inhabited continent. Sea surface temperatures and heat con- content in the upper levels of the ocean also set records, as did sea levels which crept up to 2.75 inches above the 1993 level. So here's a quote from... Michael Mann, a famous climate scientist, quote, As I often point out now that impacts of climate change are no longer subtle, said climate scientist Michael Mann, director of the Earth System Science Center at Penn State University. Quote, They are playing out before us in real time. The 2015 numbers drive that home. That's part of what I think is important about this story, is people still, for some reason, tend to think of this as a future problem, like something that may happen someday if things get bad, but... It's already happening. And one of the aspects, if if those emissions were capped today, the sea would keep rising. Quote, each degree of Celsius of warming adds about eight feet to the eventual sea level rise that we are committed to in the long term. Yeah. And so I took that quote out because the next thing we're talking about is an article from Climate Progress, Sea Level Rise would put millions of U.S. homes underwater. Sea level rise may put nearly a trillion dollars of U.S. coastal homes underwater by the end of the century, a new real estate study has found. Storm surges and higher tidal flows caused by climate change could gobble up almost 1.9 million homes in hundreds of cities, according to a study by the real estate company Zillow. 
In total, homeowners could lose some $882 billion by 2100. The report, published Tuesday, is based on the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration's maps showing which coastal areas will be underwater with a projected sea level rise of 6 feet in conjunction with the company's database of more than 100 million homes nationwide. Six feet is the amount of sea level rise scientists most recently estimated in a study on climate change published in March. Sea level rise stems from human-caused climate change, now warming the planet and the oceans, multiple studies have found. Warming waters increasingly melt glaciers and ice sheets, increasing ocean volume around the globe, in addition, climate change is expected to cause more powerful storms and hurricanes, which adds to the problem. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, a group of scientists backed by the United Nations, has said global mean sea level rise will go on for centuries beyond 2100 unless greenhouse gas emissions are scaled back. I'm glad they mentioned that last part there. A lot of these sort of targets that we pick are based on what will happen by 2050 or by 2100. But it's worth pointing out that once we've put all that carbon in the atmosphere, um, temperatures are just going to keep rising after that. It's not like it's only going to raise a couple of inches and then stop. Well, since you're saying that, I mean, if whatever we've already done is going to cause dire circumstances, why bother stopping? <laughs> well, because you can always prevent it from being worse. <laughs> we could. It's the difference between, say, parts of New York City being underwater versus the entire city up to the skyscrapers being underwater. Yeah, but that's not going to bother me. I'm not going to be alive. Yeah. Well, I guess it depends on whether or not you care about future generations. Oh. <laughs> we can think about the seventh generation after our own and uh, take that into account with our policies. All right, in other news, the movement for black lives calls for fossil fuel divestment. Now, I don't know if you heard about this, but this big statement just came out recently. The movement for black lives, a coalition of more than 50 groups, including Black Lives Matter, released a detailed platform this week to address the challenges that disproportionately affect black people, including environmental injustice. A vision for black lives identifies the public policies hemorrhaging the black community, and then provides possible solutions in the form of model legislations and policies. Now, there's a ton of stuff in this. It's a, it's a very in-depth, complex uh, policy proposal that all these groups put together. So let's synopsize it in just six parts. Yeah. The six parts are the, the broader call to divest from, you know, as part of the broader call to divest from criminalization and incarceration, the platform also calls for a divestment from fossil fuels. A call for economic justice also acknowledges environmental racism. Black farmers face unique challenges, including fragrant racial discrimination. I mean, do most people even think that farmers could be black? That's how racist it is. Mm -hmm. The platform focuses on policy as a tactic to address the myriad of injustices black people face, including in the environment. Its release on the heels of the GOP and Democratic Party conventions provides context for local, state, and federal campaigns aimed to meet the platform's demands. Yeah, the timing of it was certainly chosen very specifically, it seems like. They had the two party conventions, and 
then they release their statements about policy. So, you know, regardless of which party is in power where, they're saying here are some policy objectives we have. And I was glad to see the inclusion of so much uh, environmental content in there. Um, that is one, one of the forms of injustice that people often don't think about is that if pollution is happening, if, you know, economic injustice is happening, it will first affect people who are already disempowered in other ways by the system. You know, they're not going to put a, a very toxic uh, coal-burning coal plant right next to all of the rich white neighborhoods. <laughs> they're going to put it in places where they think no one is going to fight against it. But they may be sorely mistaken based on this platform. People are starting to organize and uh, push for false fuel divestment, push for if other things. If they forms. don't start having some clean jobs, people aren't going to have jobs until they'll have a lot of free time to fight things. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there you go. It's like, and that's part of the, the joy of clean jobs is it, it provides a lot of different things at once. It provides economic opportunities for people who don't have them. It decreases our pollution. It boosts the economy. It's it's a win-win-win. Really, the only people who object to it are fossil fuels companies that are starting to go bankrupt and they <laughs> want to try to force their product on the public. Good point. Not just starting to go bankrupt. Quite a few Already coal are. companies have gone bankrupt. Yeah. You know. And then going bankrupt is often a way for them to try to dodge cleanups of their messes they've left behind and all that. True, because going bankrupt doesn't mean they continue to... Um, pay out anything yeah it means they make the government pay it <laughs> yeah they're like we don't have enough money to do it that doesn't mean they also close shop yeah it just means they quit paying bills so california's fast track solar permits let the sun shine in faster and cheaper california cities are leading the nation in eliminating one of the biggest hurdles to the growth of residential solar lengthy and confusing permitting now, I'm going to have to dispute that it says California cities are leading. Hmm. Actually, a nonprofit was created and made a list of all the cities <laughs> that, you know, basically and started calling. They're like, you're on the top of the list for the most expensive solar permit in the state of California. How would you like to comment? <laughs> Just <laughs> like that. Yeah. And so. And they got their act together. Right. So. Anyway, so that is good to point out because it's it's we the people who are driving the change, not, correct? Not these. not the cities, yeah. um, but the cities are stepping up to the plate, and therefore, it is spurred spurred by a recent state law. Hundreds of California communities have streamlined their permit process for small residential solar systems over the past year. Some bringing it down to a single day. Some city has have also fast tracked inspections to within a few days of permit approval the outcome the state's biggest cities are now processing and signing off on hundreds of these solar projects each month san jose for example streamlined its permit review and approval process last august and has since approved more than 4500 residential rooftop solar permits that is only a 600 percent increase over the previous year when San Jose, California's third largest city, permitted a mere 661. Yeah, so 600% doesn't sound as as um, spectacular as 661 to 4,500. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, but anyway, regardless, it's a giant jump up. Yeah. Quote, 
We want to make it fast and easy so that no one can hesitate due to bureaucratic red tape to be able to make the transition to a greener energy source. San Jose Mayor Sam Licardo told Inside Climate News. In 2014, California's legislation passed the solar bill AB 2188 called the Expedited Solar Permitting Act, which gave cities and counties within the state a September 2015 deadline to establish a fast streamlined permitting process for residential solar systems of 10 kilowatt or smaller. California is the first and possibly the only state to require expedited permitting. Now, in the state of Illinois, what we have is the investor-owned utilities, which is primarily, um, you know, commonly called Ameren and Commonwealth Edison. Mm -hmm. They are overseed by the Illinois Commerce Commission. Um, and so basically I send in an, the solar permit application to both the ICC and to Ameren at the same time. And they have uh, 30 days to respond. Yeah. So they're oversaw by, um, and generally it's, um, I don't know, generally it's within the week. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's not quite a day, but it's not quite as slow as some of the other places as well. Correct. Here's an interesting story, our last news story before we get to the happenings. Unitarian Universalists sue for the right to use solar panels and cite religious freedom. Sue? <laughs> yeah, they're suing. This is such a... They're actually suing the city. Yeah. They're suing the town of Bedford, Massachusetts, for denying a request to install solar panels on its property, arguing that authorities are infringing on the congregation's right to express their religious beliefs in clean energy solutions. Uh, according to the the... Defense, the First Unitarian Universalist Parish applied for a Certificate of Appropriateness. Appropriate? To, yeah. A certificate of Appropriateness? Yeah. Well, this what is, kind of certificate is that? Yeah. Well, it's related to the fact that this is in the town's historic district. Oh, okay. So it's the, the town's historic district commission denied the uh, application for the Certificate of Appropriateness. In response, the congregation filed a complaint on June 27th based on an unusual argument that the denial violated the congregation's free exercise of religion. So they're saying that it's a part of their religion to um, install clean energy technology in their place of worship. So it's an interesting confluence between the religious rights and the sustainability effort and the historic preservation. They're gonna have, it's going to be probably a headache to sort this all out in court. Well, I mean, think about it. In historic areas... They still have power lines everywhere. Yeah, they do. Okay. I mean, I think solar is can be pretty good looking. But I can also see it could be very cumbersome and take over, too. Yeah. And so, but power lines are everywhere, and they take over everything, and they're allowed. Yeah. They could try to find some sort of compromise where they, you know, put... I don't know, decorations around the solar panels to make them look like they're just shingles or something. <laughs> Some way to, to try to compromise. But I do like the fact that they're declaring that it is a part of their religious beliefs that they need to have clean energy. That's a really interesting legal argument there. The complaint argues that achieving their goal is a required part of their faith tradition. Quote, In modern times, adherence to the seventh principle 
has involved confronting and mitigating evolving environmental threats. By far the most pressing of these threats in today's world is climate change. As such, Unitarian Universalists across the nation believe that their religion necessarily involves taking action on a personal, congregational, and community level to confine and mitigate mankind's role in causing and exacerbating global warming, end quote. Bam! Yeah, that's a powerful statement. I wonder if the Universal uh, Unitarian Church here in town would like to do it. <laughs> they wouldn't have a problem. They couldn't put it on their building because they have a very, you know, as most churches do, a very unique building where you can't really put solar on it. And so then you'd put it out in the yard. And so, mm. you know, so. So there you go. We'll definitely follow this for more news as it develops. I'm curious to see how they will balance those different values. But as you make a good point, though, that there are historic districts with power lines in them. So if they can make accommodations for power lines, surely they can make accommodations for solar. I mean, faith groups of all persuasions are ramping up efforts to help in the, you know, in the fight against climate change. I mean, um, I mean, even uh, Pope Francis had the famous... Um, yeah, the encyclical on the environment. I mean, that was like, wow. I mean, the the thing that gets me is most people say we need to save the cl- planet, right? And it's starting to get to the point where people realize that if we don't save, you know, the climate, the planet, nature, we're killing ourselves off. <laughs> it's just huh. like, yeah. And so it's it's kind of a self-preservation thing. So, All right, so let's get to some of these holidays and happenings. You may have heard the Summer Olympics are beginning right now in Rio. The Olympics are going on. It's, it's all over everywhere, you know, any media source you look at. Is, I didn't know it. Yeah. <laughs> but I've been disconnected. Yeah. It is Wiggle Your Toes Day, and coming up is Friendship Day, also International Forgiveness Day. And guess what? It's coming up. Sneak some zucchini onto your neighbor's porch day. <laughs> and I wouldn't mind that. Yeah. Um, uh, I guess a month ago, I was down in Tennessee, and a friend of mine had like six giant zucchinis on their kitchen table. And I just chopped up one of them into a stir fry and made a, what is it, a frittata, you know, an Italian omelet, and fed 11 people. <laughs> just there like, you go. <laughs> it was just some onions. A zucchini, some eggs, yeah, and that was it. Everybody got stuffed You can because it was big. <laughs> yeah, just like, you can make stir fry, you can make frittatas, you can make zucchini bread. I think people are sneaking it onto other people's porches because this is the time of year for it. So yeah, they got to like, put it somewhere. I wouldn't mind some people sneak some. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it, what I would do is I would just toss it in the freezer, and then you know it would freeze it, and that causes it to kind of collapse and. And then I can make uh, zucchini bread or add it to soups and stuff in the winter. Yeah. So. It's a good yeah. plan. Also coming up is Book Lover's Day on Tuesday. Now, I've, I'm finally getting back into reading. I'm reading two books at once right now. Not one in each hand, you know, but alternating in the day reading one and the night another. So, Book Lover's Day on Tuesday. I'm trying to uh, do a book swap at the Wednesday Farmer's Market, so... If anybody has a few extra books and want to show up at the Wednesday Farmer's Market, let's do it. Hmm. So, um, Wednesday is Lazy Day, 
I guess that means you're too lazy to bring your book out to the farmer's market. Um, Thursday is presidential joke day. August is admit your happy month, family fun month, national catfish month, peach month, romance awareness month, national picnic month, and water quality month. Oh, we only got a few minutes. Yep. Happenings. Peace Coalition Peace and Justice Vigil is coming up on Saturday from noon to 1 p.m. at the corner of Illinois and Maine here in Carbondale. And uh, the vigil will have a peace theme of Remember Hiroshima and Nagasaki, nuclear-free future now. It's, you, it's the anniversary of blowing up the, blowing them up. Yeah, and they always do things each year to commemorate that, both as a memorial and as a call to action for uh, the current day. We still have nuclear weapons out there, and we're actually in the process of upgrading them. So What? Yeah, instead of trying to dismantle them, they're saying, oh, they're getting old, we need to upgrade them. They're going to spend billions, trillions of dollars, I don't even know. Uh, but at, I'm sure at the event, they will tell us exactly how much they're going to spend on it. So that's on Saturday at noon at the town square. On Sunday, the Labyrinth Walk at the Labyrinth Peace Park, Sunday morning at 7.30 a.m. This the community, the monthly community walking meditation. I think it's the first Sunday. Yeah, the first Sunday of each month from 7.30 to 8 a.m. at the Labyrinth Peace Park. The Buckminster Fuller Dome-Covered Labyrinth and Park is always open for meditation and recreation. See the new website at labyrinthpeacepark.org. If you can spell labyrinth, you'll make it there. <laughs> there you Just go. like... Also coming up, the Hiroshima-Nagasaki commemoration, which is on Sunday at 5.30 p.m. at the Church of the Good Shepherd, 515 Orchard Drive. Um, It's a public event commemorating the first use of nuclear weapons at Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and they are also joining in many across the world to call for the abolition, not the modernization, of nuclear weapons. It does have some statistics further down here. The U.S. plans to spend $1 trillion dollars over the next 30 years to modernize the nuclear arsenal. One trillion. Yeah. I can think of other things we could spend a trillion dollars on. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I can think of some other worthy causes that don't involve thousands of nuclear weapons that could kill us all. <laughs> I mentioned the downtown community farmer's market on Wednesdays. Wednesdays, 3 to 6 p.m., downtown Carbondale in the 200 block of Washington Street. That's right outside our station here. And the city closes the block off and it becomes a block party. Food, music, and did I mention food? Hmm. I actually, uh, this morning at uh, 6 o'clock, when I was eating my awesome breakfast I made, I was thinking of what to write down about what I was eating. And I realized, with the exception of coconut oil, um, some sauerkraut a friend of mine in um, Quad Cities made, and some cheese I picked up in Wisconsin. Everything in my frittata veggie stir-fry this morning was all local. Yep, it was local. like mushrooms, greens, tomatoes, just yumness. Think global, eat local. <laughs> all right, we've got time for one more happening here. Learn about the 2017 solar eclipse. This is coming up on Thursday. People don't know about it already? <laughs> yeah. People have heard the buzz. If you want to hear details about actually when the eclipse is, what all the the astronomical details are, that's coming up on Thursday at 5.30 p.m., 216 East Monroe, across from Rock Hill Baptist Church, corner of Monroe and Marion. 
Harry Trees, president of the Astronomical Association of Southern Illinois, will talk about the 2017 solar eclipse. It's a free event. The uh, guests are welcome. Park and enter from the alley through the green door. Front door is locked, so we've got to go around back to the yeah, green door. Well, and the back is where the parking lot is anyway. Yeah, and it's easy. To, it's a bright green door. It's easy And to this find. is a big deal. I was down in the Caribbean in January, and I mentioned I was from Carbondale, Illinois. And, well, I just said Carbondale. And three people I met in the Caribbean said they were coming here for the eclipse. <laughs> there you go. You know. Maybe we really are going to have tens of thousands yeah. of people here. Yeah. And so um, I gave them my number for a place to stay because... If we're going to get it, <laughs> we're going to get that many people. Maybe I should have been out of my office. Yep. So <laughs> we'll do. You have listened to another half hour of your community spirit. If you would like to interact with us, info at your community And I think tree song is doing a pretty good job of keeping your community updated with our past shows. Yep. And I think you can even get it as a podcast. Yeah, it's like, well, it I don't know why you'd want to do any of that. Listening <laughs> to us once is enough. Yeah, catch it live when you can. <laughs> Just like right here on WDBX 91.1 FM. Your community radio station for Southern Illinois and beyond.